You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning, Highland Hills. I'm Jim Woolhams. I'm the Director of Missions for the Northern Kentucky Baptist Association, and uh, I had the privilege of being able to speak with you today, and uh, it is a joy to be back here with you. Uh, this week we've had a lot of very disturbing things that have transpired in our world. Uh, I, for 13 years, was a professor at Campbellsville University and ran their off-campus uh, center in Louisville. And one of the things that happened uh, this week was uh, a shooter came to that church and tried to get in on on Wednesday and could not get through the security there and then we know by if you saw the news at all uh, that he went and shot two black people at the Kroger parking lot just across the way from First Baptist Church J-Town which is a predominantly black church. Uh, you know by watching the news what happened yesterday in, in Pittsburgh uh, someone going into a Jewish synagogue, uh, and there are at least 11 people uh, who were killed uh, in that church, and many others injured. I could go on down a list of other things. Those are just most recent, and because I know my, my dear friend Kevin Nelson, who pastors the First Baptist Church in J-Town in Louisville, um, and have been talking with him this week, I just want to ask you if you would stop and pray with me. And as we have just sang so beautifully, uh, Lord, Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you in our world. We need healing. Healing from our sin-sick souls. And for God, for you to send an awakening within our hearts. And it has to begin right here with you and with me. So would you pray with me toward that end? Father, we just give you thanks. Uh, we praise your name for your glory, for your truth, for your love and grace that has just been so bountifully shared to us. We focus our attention on you this morning. In the midst of all of these horrific things happening around us and lives being lost, God, we, we thank you that your word reminds us <laughs> that truth wins out, that good wins over evil. We read the last chapter and we know how this turns out, but right now it feels like we're losing battles along the way. Help us to see, God, what you see. And God, help us to align our hearts with you so that the things that break your heart break our hearts. And God, awaken something that has maybe laid dormant in our souls and awaken us. Awaken us to see the, the world around us and the lostness and the people who are desperate and searching. God, may we bring light, may we bring truth May we bring hope. 
to our communities and for so many who are lost in, in, in drugs and, and alcohol and so many other things that are claiming lives. God, help us to do everything that we can within our ability to do for the one what we would do for the many. God, help us to be used by you. Help us to join you. Help us to see where you're at work right around us and help us to join you, God. Guide us to join you in what you are already doing as you are redeeming the lives of people in this community. Help us to leave this place and be world changers. Because this world, this world and so many all around us in our community, our neighborhoods and so on, are living without hope, are living without light, and they do not know the one who is truth, and that is Jesus. Help us to be broken by that each and every day, and to do everything that we can to bring that light, to bring that hope, to bring the person of Jesus who can only, and he alone, bring true and real healing in their lives. Bless us now, God, as we continue to worship and look to your word. Give us insight and wisdom and open our hearts. And Father, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock, my salvation, and our redeemer. Amen. Quite a season that we are in, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm proudly wearing the blue today. I would have worn black today had they lost last night, but uh, the University of Kentucky football team is 7-1 and one for the first time since I was a senior in high school in 1977. And we're going to play the University of Georgia in Lexington next week for the SEC East Championship. And as those words even come out of my mouth, I can't quite process that. You know, <laughs> it's a political season. Another November is coming, another election uh, taking place. And uh, I want to share with you today and, and next Sunday uh, a two part series called Decision 2018. Now, quick poll of those of you who are here this morning. How many of you, if you will show it by raised hand, are already feeling uncomfortable because you think I'm going to talk about politics today? Okay. Uh, I get it. Uh, it's impossible to turn the television on without seeing multiplicity of ads. You know, I have worn out the mute button on, on, on my remote control. It's just black. It has no color or anything, you know, because I've just hit the mute button so much if I'm watching live television at, at all. And, and all the, the, the mudslinging and political games, they, they have a way of just making us feel, ugh, don't you think? I, at least that's how I feel. It has been an interesting political year. Uh, and as we get closer to November 6th, there are important decisions that uh, we have to make. Uh, for our elected officials, so locally, statewide, uh, 
nationally and so on. And many of you have, have already chosen a, a candidate and, and you're ready to vote. You know how you're going to vote and all of these ads are going to have zero impact on, on what you do. Uh, some of you are still probably scratching your head and wondering, I, I'm really not sure what I want to do and, 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 and where I need and who I need to vote for. But no matter what you decide in that voting booth in November, there is another decision in 2018, I believe, that is far more important than who will be the next elected official. And that is what this series is all about, not politics. Here it is. Will you choose Jesus? Will you choose Jesus? Now, maybe you're asking yourself, well, now, what does that mean? You know, Jim, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean about choosing Jesus? Well, if you have your Bibles with you or your smartphone or pad, uh, uh, turn on your YouVersion app, uh, whatever your Bible app is, uh, and, and uh, turn with me over to Luke chapter 9. And I want to give a little bit of context for this and what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, because as we look to Luke chapter 9, let me give you just a little bit of context here. Uh, uh, up to this point in the story, Jesus is running what we could call and look at as a great campaign. And in this chapter, we see him doing some amazing things. If you look at uh, verses 1 and 2 uh, in chapter 9, he, he sends out his campaign staff, a.k.a. the disciples, and he sends them from village to village, and they're just super successful at spreading the message. It says, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So he heals people of their sickness and their diseases. Now that's an awesome health care plan, right? That's one we can all get behind. Uh, where's Sean at? Uh, all those who are in the medical field, Dottie, everybody who's in the medical field, you, 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 should, you should particularly appreciate it. They, you know, uh, in verse nine, he, he heals people of their sickness and diseases. And then he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. And skip on down to verse 16. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, Jesus is absolutely amazing right here. I mean, who wouldn't want to vote for a guy like that? I mean, you could close your eyes and just see everywhere he went, there were crowds around him, you know? And if they'd had them in the day, there would have been selfie sticks and so on like that. People taking selfies, you know, uh, uh, along the way. But then, then he comes to verse 23, verse 23. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, I'm not a political consultant, but this seems like a pretty bad campaign slogan. I don't know. So, so Jesus, you're saying that I have to deny myself and follow you? That's, that's your campaign? That's your pitch? That's what you want to communicate? Isn't a candidate supposed to talk about all of the benefits, you know, of what you're going to do for me? And here Jesus is saying instead, 
You've got to take up your cross. Now, talk about polarizing. Unlike candidates today, Jesus doesn't look for a middle ground and just try to find somewhere in the middle so you can skim on either side and, and whatever like that. No, no, he, he brings the hammer. He brings it down. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, the question we have to ask is, why in the world would he say that? What's he trying to accomplish here? Well, the simple answer is that Jesus isn't interested in attracting crowds of adoring fans. Uh, instead, what Jesus wants is followers. And there's a big difference between being a fan and being a follower. Huge. Now let's start with being a fan. I want you to look. Uh, a couple of years back, I was at a Hall of Fame induction uh, for one of my all-time favorite people, Brett Favre. And I was there at the same time that Kenny Stabler, who played for the Oakland Raiders, uh, was also inducted into the Hall of Fame. I don't think I have ever met any more crazy or enthusiastic people than the Raiders fans. I mean, they are crazy, off the scale, have never seen anything like it. But these people are a lot of fun. And they love football. They really do. See the next one. Mm. <coughs> I, uh, I, I'm an owner. I'm one of many hundreds of thousands of owners of the Green Bay Packers, the only publicly owned uh, professional franchise in, in all of American sports. And I'm a huge fan. And that is my grandson, Elliot. And he calls that his cheese hat. I just put that up there because it's cute. And that's crazy. And I have been there when it's been about 20 below zero in Green Bay and snowing and at a ball game and, and asking myself if I really was sane or not. See the next one. Oh, yeah. I don't need to say anything else about Aaron Rodgers. He's the largest human band-aid in the NFL. You pull him off the Green Bay Packers, we do not win another game the rest of the year, period. Okay, next one. Now, fans around here, uh, there's usually some division. Uh, uh, usually it, it shades one way more than another. But, you know, uh, in Kentucky, we have uh, two, they have many great universities, two that are known uh, particularly for sports and some of their biggest fans, like Ashley Judd for uh, Kentucky and, and uh, well, you know, uh, Jennifer Lawrence from Louisville and... Uh, Oh, that third one slipped in there. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, I guess I kind of tilted my hand there, didn't I? Uh, uh, anyway, uh, flip over to the next. Now, here locally, you know, the Bengals are the team, you know. Uh, can I get a who day? Oh, that was weak. Can I, can I get another who day, a little more? Yeah, well, that kind of, you know, I'm going to tell you, that kind of marks the way they're playing right now, you know. Uh, it, it really does. But we're all fans. We're fans of our team and so on, our local teams. Let's hit the next one. Here, I grew up in a time where, I mean, the Cincinnati Reds were everything. And the, and the big red machine, 
Uh, It was absolutely everything. I was there when they swept the Oakland Athletics in the World Series. I mean, those were the days. How long ago has that been? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, But in this area, this part of the country... You tend to be very passionate fans. You love baseball at all. You like baseball. You know the great history that exists here in Cincinnati in this area uh, for the Reds. You know, it's great being a fan. I was with 20,000 plus fans Friday night at an exhibition game at Rupp Arena uh, in in Lexington, and they were playing a a small private school in an exhibition, and there were 20,000 plus people there at the game to watch an exhibition game. People are crazy. Fans are crazy. They're passionate. A fan cheers from the stands, but fans don't actually sacrifice anything on the field or the floor. A fan knows all about the players, but few actually know the players on any kind of intimate level. A fan applauds when the team's winning, but when they start to lose, what happens? They jump off the bandwagon. They do. Fans jump off the bandwagon all the time. So when it comes to Jesus, what does it look like to be a follower instead of a fan. Go back to verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now being a follower means to turn from your selfish ways, or as another version translated, to deny yourself. Now think about it like what denying yourself means. Now, when I think about denying myself, what I think about is saying no to something that I really like, which could be a lot of different things, but I'll say at the top of my list, dessert. And as you can see, I don't say no nearly often enough. There are things that I love, chocolate and, you know, every kind of pie and moonrise donuts. If you haven't been to moonrise donuts, you gotta go. Best donuts in northern Kentucky. Uh, Anyway, aside, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, uh, of all those things. But there are going to be times, Jesus says, that we are going to be asked. There are times that we're going to say no to ourselves because what we want will be at odds at what God wants. Hello? Y'all listening? Anybody else here? Following Jesus means he will come first in our lives. And being a follower also means that we're going to take up our cross. Now, contrary to popular belief, this isn't just about enduring hard things in life. Instead, cross-bearing is voluntarily chosen. It means that we carry the burdens that Jesus carries. Taking up your cross means that our main priorities can't be comfort, convenience, or control. Ooh, that got a little quiet. Because how many of us love comfort, convenience, and control? Oh, now you're getting personal. Hmm. Our main priorities can't be comfort, convenience, or control. You see, that's a way of life, of service, 
sacrifice and surrender to God. Now, this doesn't mean that we're signing up for a life of horrible experiences, but it does mean that we should be willing to shoulder the hard things for the sake of Jesus and his mission, the Great Commission. And Jesus says, taking up our cross is something that we do daily, not periodically, not when we feel like it, but daily. So being a follower isn't just a decision we make, it's a journey we take. Following Jesus isn't just a decision we make, it's a journey we take. The word follow used at the end of this verse refers to the act of accompanying someone on a journey. Many of us, myself included, have responded to Jesus' initial call to come to him. But then there are times in our lives where we slip into a way of living or choices that we have made that are inconsistent with his way and, and we began to wander. We began to get off course. And the things that are important to Jesus, there are other things that become more important to us. And they're not in alignment. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, but listen, I'm only going to be available on the second and the fourth Sunday, okay? Can't make it all the Sundays and so on like that, but I can give you the second and the fourth Sundays. Now, the Monday through the Saturday, nah, I'm kind of busy there too, you know, but I'm going to give you the second and the fourth Sundays. You know, that's the national average of attendance of a normal, what is considered a normal church member is to attend twice a month. So this was your Sunday, right? Just saying. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. But all that stuff about denying myself, I mean, isn't that a little extreme? I mean, that makes me uncomfortable. I mean, that, that, that you know, I need to take care of me first. Hello. Comfort, convenience, control. Comfort, Convenience, control. You see, a fan watches comfortably from the stands or, or from their recliner. But a follower gets their hands dirty, gets in on the action on the, the playing floor of the field. And all of this begs a question that we need to answer. Are you a fan or a follower? Are you a fan or a follower? Now, my concern is that we can easily, and we do, fool ourselves into thinking that we're followers when we're really just fans. The truth is, it's, it's easy to be a fan of Jesus. I mean, we come together once a week in this beautiful stadium, you know, we, we come ready to cheer him on. Uh, we, we sit in our seats, we open up our programs, we, we clap you know, when something good happens and we watch the clock, as some of you are right now, uh, looking at your watch, you know, to see how much time's left in the game. Uh, and we leave and we evaluate the service, you know, silently, you know, maybe giving it a thumbs up or maybe not, you know, and we might even leave a tip. Who knows? And then we don't think about any of it again until we come back you know, on the second and fourth Sundays or 
the first and the third Sundays, whichever one you may be on. And if we're honest, some of us are really big fans. We love this stuff. We know all the team songs, you know, and, and we don't like to miss a game. We feel kind of bad when we're not there, you know, even though we're still not there. Being a fan can feel pretty good. The reason I know this is because, well, I know there have been times in my life that I have been a fan. Over the past two years, uh, we've had a couple of major disasters uh, in Houston last year and in southern Louisiana uh, the year before. And I saw devastation firsthand in those places that brought uh, tens of hundreds of thousands of Louisianans and Texans uh, uh, who were impacted and affected, 200,000 homes uh, uh, overall. If you, uh, this, was, this was a church in, in Louisiana. Flip right through here. Uh, I just want you to see uh, this, this was what the interior of the church, when they had to gut everything out, everything inside uh, was, was, was gutted out. Uh, flip over. Uh, this is what it looked like inside. Uh, keep on going. Uh, this is one of the neighborhoods there. I mean, everything that they had, every couch, every table, everything was out there on the front lawn. Go ahead and flip over to the next. This is what every street looked like, street after street after street, and it doesn't matter whether it was Houston, it doesn't matter uh, it was southern Louisiana and so on. Uh, it, it, was just, it was just, it's hard to explain until you actually see this. It, it really is. When you spend time on the ground and you talk to these families and so on, it's, it's amazing. Um, we had our association over those two seasons, uh, we sent over $80,000 worth of gift cards that were distributed by churches in the communities there. We went down to New Orleans and we helped rebuild eight homes. And in Houston, we helped rebuild five homes uh, as a result. And our association was deeply involved, and many of our churches were involved in that, and I'm grateful for that. I met Harold while I was there. And Harold was a gentleman from Oklahoma who was serving on a disaster relief feeding team. Now, I know that United Way is a great organization, and that's where a lot of money flows, but I want to tell you where the United Way and so on does in the Red Cross. Uh, they get all the money and they funnel it, and then to the Salvation Army and to the Baptist and Disaster Relief, they do all the feeding on the ground. Nearly all of it. Of Southern Baptist and Salvation Army were feeding thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and the Red Cross and other. They were they were funneling things into them, but it was the Baptist and the Salvation Army folks who were doing all of the feeding. They just don't get much of the credit, and so there's plenty of credit to go around. I just wanted to. I just want to, he was one of these guys. Uh, Harold's 75 years old, Oklahoma, and I, I met him and his team, and, and I asked him, I said, Harold, how long have you been here? And at that time, he said, well, 11 days. Gotten there two days after the flood. I asked him, well, what time did you start this morning, Harold? He said, 4 a.m. I looked at my watch, and it was 4.30 p.m., and I was astonished that this 75-year-old man had been working for 12 hours a day for 11 days straight. I said, how many meals did you all serve today? He said, 20,000 today. I can't even get my head around figures like that. 
you know, and I'm in the midst of devastation that, that I saw in, in this way. And, and finally, I looked at Harold and I said, Harold, why do you do this? Why do you do this? And he stopped. And tears started to build up in his eyes. His lip began to tremble. And he said, how can I not? How can I not? After all that Jesus has done for me, how can I not? Harold was a follower, not a fan. And friends, we tend to be a nation of fans, not followers. Which are you? If you move down to verse 57 there in Luke chapter 9, Jesus encounters three people who say they want to be followers, but they're exposed as fans. Look at what happens, this first fan, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So hold on. The guy says enthusiastically, I'll follow you, and Jesus says, I'm homeless. What does that even mean? Well, you see, I think Jesus could see into this man's heart, and he knew what he really meant. Because fan number one says, I'll follow if it's comfortable. And in his reply, Jesus says, my followers are prepared to sacrifice. This is the deny yourself. This is the take up your cross daily stuff that Jesus was talking about earlier here in, in Luke 9. If following Jesus costs me nothing, I need to stop and ask myself, am I really following? If I only follow when it's comfortable, I'm not a follower. I'm a fan. Here's a second fan. He says to another man, verse 59, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now what's going on here? I mean, Jesus won't let this guy attend his own dad's funeral. Is that what's happening here? Seems kind of cold, doesn't it? Well, on the surface, but culturally, in those days, it was the son's duty to bury one's family. And when he says, let me go and bury my father, it doesn't necessarily mean his father was dead. It could have been that he was just asking to put off following Jesus until after his father passed and he was free then from his obligations. In essence, the man was saying, fan number two, I'll follow when it's convenient. But Jesus replies, my followers realign their priorities. The things that break my heart break the hearts of my followers. You see, for followers, everything becomes secondary to the call to follow Jesus and further His great commission. Following Him sometimes interrupts our lives, and if I follow only when it's convenient, I'm not a follower. I'm just a fan. And finally, we have another fan. 
Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Okay, this is another odd reply. What does he mean? Well, imagine a farmer, old school, no tractor, you got an ox, you got a plow, and you're behind the ox who's pulling the plow, and you are guiding the plow. And it's creating that furrow. And, and what happens if the guy who is guiding that, 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 that blade, that furrow to, to make that, when he is guiding that, if he's looking back, how, how well is he going to be able to do? I mean, how well do you all drive looking back behind you at all the time when you're driving forward? I mean, does that work out well? You know, I'm on the highway. I see some people doing that. You have too. You know, hopefully you haven't been one of them. Hopefully I'm not one of them. Uh, but, but look, when, <laughs> when you're trying to go in a straight line and look over your shoulder and look back at, at the same time, you know, you, you, Jesus is saying, look, you can't follow me if you're going to constantly be looking in your past. You can't Follow me if you're going to constantly be looking to your old way of life. And in effect, to fan number three, he's saying, I'll follow you if I can remain in control. And Jesus replies, my followers fully commit to me. This is about surrender. This is about sacrifice. Following Jesus requires total commitment. Jesus isn't just saying, I, I want first place in your life. He's saying, I don't want there to even be a second place. Jesus doesn't want to be one of many. He wants to be your one and only. Hello? He does not want to be your one of many. He wants to be your one and only. And if following depends on my retaining control, that I'm not a follower. I'm just a fan. This is true of believers. It's true of churches. Being a follower means your priorities can no longer, be, no longer be comfort, convenience, and control. Remember those? Comfort, convenience, control. Jesus isn't looking for enthusiastic admirers. He's not after fans. He wants followers. So when it comes to decision 2018, what Will you decide? And the challenge is I want to urge you with everything inside me to choose to follow Jesus. Some today, you may be following Jesus for the very first time. And right now, your heart's kind of racing. And you know it's time to say yes. You know that you finally found what you've been looking for. You've been with Bono. You've been singing. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, you found it. And it's in Jesus. Don't wait until it's comfortable. Don't wait until it's convenient. Decide right now that you're going to follow Jesus. For others, today will be the day when you decide to follow Jesus for real. Chances are you know you've been going through the motions for a while and you feel a little dead and a little dry inside, those dry bones. And you're convicted and you're convinced, you've convinced yourself that 
it's okay to indulge me and to take care of me first. And that, you know, it's okay to just give God a, a little bit of my time and a little bit of my attention, and, and that's okay. You're more concerned about retaining or gaining control, retaining your comfort and position, and today will be the day that you declare absolute surrender and submission instead to Christ and his great commission and declare that you're all in instead of being not in at all because it is one of the other friends. You're either all in or you're not in at all. Because a fan is not all in. Now ask yourself, are you growing spiritually? Have you repented of sins lately? Do you see the evidences of God in your life? Do you notice the fruit of God's Spirit, and do other people notice this fruit in your life? Is it marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control? Is that the testimony? Is that the witness that is given to other people around you? Is that what they see in you? Do they see that kind of fruit? In a moment, I, I want to invite you to come forward. And when I invite you to come, and I know that there will be elders and others who would be more than happy to pray with you. Uh, but before we do that, I, I, I want to speak to one more group of people. There are some today who are here who will decide that today will be the day that you decide to follow Jesus again. You remember what it was like when you initially met him and, and he had your heart, I mean all of you. And somewhere between then and now, you, you kind of, whether you were looking back or whether you, something else distracted you and so you, you kind of gotten off center and your heart is no longer aligned with God's heart in the same way. And he's saying, come home. Come home. Find your way back to me. Come home. And if that's you in a moment, I want to invite you to come and pray. Why? Why follow Jesus? Well, as a candidate for your life, Jesus can be a polarizing figure. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. You see, one way or another, you're going to lose your life. But Jesus is offering you the chance to lose it for a purpose. An amazing missionary by the name of Amy Carmichael once said it this way. What Jesus is offering you is a chance to die. A chance to die to our self-centered, distracted, shallow, and small-minded ways in order to live for something. In order to live for someone more amazing and whose mission is greater and can impact the eternities of so many lives that it's, it's difficult for us to comprehend. But when we are a follower of Jesus and we are following his plan and we are on mission to make disciples, we are seeking to save that which is lost through the power of Christ. 
is nothing greater. Nothing greater. Today's an important day. It's decision 2018. And if you've decided to follow Jesus for the first time, or you want to follow him for real, or you want to follow him again, then I want to invite you, as Josh leads us, would you come? Come to this altar and pray. Someone will pray with you if you like, but what will you decide? You can be a fan or a follower. I pray you choose Jesus. Let's stand together.